Hello and welcome to the Particular Baptist Podcast on this New Year's Eve. I am Daniel Vincent here with my co-host Sean Cheatham. You can find us and other podcasts at reformpodcast.com. Check out our blog at theparticularbaptist.net and also check out our Patreon page if you have not already. You can support us there by picking one of the tiers that are available to receive exclusive benefits. That's patreon.com forward slash theparticularbaptist. And thank you for those who support us already. So today we're going to talk about um, some things surrounding the topic of the new year, kind of going into the new year. You know, people tend to have New Year's resolutions as they're going to the year. How am I going to, uh, you know, I'm going to eat better. I'm going to work out. I'm going to, you know, do this accomplishment in the new year. Um, but we wanted to talk about some things kind of surrounding that mindset, but in from a biblical point of view, um, in Jonathan Edwards' resolutions. And we picked uh, a number of them that we just want to briefly discuss, and hopefully this can kind of set the tone as we go into the new year, especially as Christians, um, for how our mindset and our, our lives really should uh, should be. So we want to talk about that a little bit. Um, so Jonathan Edwards, a uh, pretty famous guy. Most of us, I think, know who he is, but he lived during the time of the First Great Awakening uh, in America, and this was before the American Revolution, so there was no United States. It was the colonies, the British colonies at the time. Um, but Jonathan Edwards was born in Connecticut in 1703, and he became pastor at the church in Northampton in Massachusetts in 1729. And then the First Great Awakening hit. And while Edwards criticized the First Great Awakening uh, with some of its methodology, he did like the results that came from it. Um, so there were some, you know, there was some back and forth there. And the Great Awakening was not received by the church as a whole at the time. Uh, you see with like George Whitfield, there was pushback against him with his methods. And George Whitfield was not a, a great fan of the local church model anyways. So there was issues there. Um, but it seemed to to move a lot of people to at least some sort of outward conversions um, or professions of faith, many professions of faith. Um, so there was this seemingly movement of God with regards to saving people and bringing them into the kingdom with the preaching of the gospel. Um, but Edwards was a he was a staunch offender of Calvinism and he stood against Arminian tendencies of his time. Um, but he's also famous for the resolutions that we'll talk about today. He wrote, um, was it about a hundred of them, Sean? I don't remember the exact number. I thought it, I thought it was seventy. Seventy, okay. Yeah. So not too far off. Um, we're only going to look, I think, at ten today. Um, but he wrote many resolutions, and this was when he was up in New York um, early on in his life. Uh, Doctor Stephen Nichols from Ligonier Ministries says this. He says, "quote It's likely that he began his resolution shortly before the date." On number 35, having just arrived in New York City in August of 1722 as an 18-year-old, these resolutions helped him face this tense moment in his life, this moment of uncertainty and change brought about by a new environment. The resolutions of Jonathan Edwards, uh, this is from the resolution of Jonathan Edwards from Ligonier Ministries, posted 1227-2020. So it seems that uh, Edwards was using these resolutions as a way to kind of ground himself in ensure that he was being focused on where he needed to go, um, especially as a young man in a city like New York. He wanted to make sure that he was staying grounded spiritually where he needed to be. So these resolutions were written to kind of help him stay resolved, to stay focused and stay disciplined. Um, so there's a lot of things that we can glean uh, from the resolutions. Um, one thing I think we need to be careful of, though, as we talk about the resolutions is that we're not making the resolutions themselves any rules of faith or any rules of living um, in and of themselves. Now, if they're bringing forth spiritual truth that is in the scriptures and that is part of a command of God, something we should be doing, then yes, we should follow them in as much as they're following scripture. But we don't want, we're not making these some sort of legalistic standard for people to follow. And we have to be very careful about that. It's easy to create a list. Well, if I if I follow Jonathan Edwards' resolutions, then I'm going to be um, I'm going to be more holy before God. I'm going to be in a better standing. I'm going to be better than these guys over here. I'm going to have my life together. Um, and we don't want to portray that in any way, shape, or form um, in this episode today. We see these as being helpful guides, but not rules that will 
make you somehow holier before God. Scripture is our standard. These are helpful guides that we can use in light of how we're supposed to live uh, in front of Scripture. So I want to be very, very clear about that. We don't want to be legalistic with this. Um, but again, as we go into the new year, we want to have our mindset focused on the Lord. We should at all times do that. But again, in this season of resolution and of turning minds toward the new year, um, we think that this will be helpful, um, kind of some ways that we can discipline ourselves and just some basic reminders of Christian holiness. So, Sean, take it away as we go into the resolutions. All right. And as a note, I'll say that uh, we've each picked five to go over. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll go through my five and then we'll go through Dan's five, although we'll probably comment on each other's. So, yep. um, <coughs> excuse me. My first one is uh, number seven which is resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. So um, there's a sense in which we should always uh, be living for God, doing what he wants us to do and not uh, what he doesn't want us to do. So um, in one sense, it shouldn't matter whether we're, we're living on the edge of our, our death or not. We should always be living the same way. But as fallen humans, we do have the tendency to forget certain things, forget how we live, and we need reminders. Um, and one such reminder um, of how we should live or something that gets us thinking about how we should live um, maybe uh, more so than on a, a normal day is uh, how would we live uh, if we knew that we were going to die tomorrow, um, which is what I think he's getting at here, that there's a a reality that imposes us, that causes us to self-examine ourselves, perhaps in a way that we wouldn't normally otherwise, uh, and one that's beneficial. And I think the, the scriptures actually also uh, get us to this uh, truth here. Um, after the uh, the parable of the, the wise and foolish virgins, um, Jesus says in Matthew 25, 13, Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour where the, the Son of Man cometh. So he's saying, be watchful, be watchful, because you don't know when this is going to happen. Um, similar to what Edwards is trying to get at here, like, well, I should live um, in a way that if it were my uh, last uh, day, I would I would be okay with the way I lived. Um, and ultimately, because we don't we don't know when our last day is, we don't want to. Uh, we don't want to have uh, failed on our last day. And this is actually in contrast how we see um, the uh, the unbelievers, um, uh, how uh, scripture describes them. In Luke uh, 17, uh, Jesus says, and as it was, and this is starting at verse 26, and as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the, sons, the son of man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. So the the um, the Gentiles, the, the unbelievers live not in light of the reality of coming judgment. They live their lives without any thought. Um, and then all of a sudden, sudden destruction came upon them. Um, and we don't we don't want to be like that. We want to have our mind set on eternity. Not that we shouldn't do the things that were described there. Not that we should not build or we should not get married. Obviously, the scriptures don't teach that. But it's a, it's a mindset issue of what are you what are you, when you live, how are you living? Are you living in light of eternity? Or are you living, just just going through life as if it's, uh, eh, it's whatever, you know, whatever I want to do at that given moment, which is, I think, uh, the truth, or at least part of the truth that Edwards is getting here. Did you have any thoughts about that, Dan? Um, I do, but it's tied to one of my other resolutions I'll talk about, so I'll save it for when I get there. Okay, no problem then. Um, then I'll do number 10, which is, uh, resolved when I feel pain to think of pains of martyrdom and of hell. So, um, obviously when we feel pain, um, we're more inclined than when we're, we feel blessed or good to, um, 
react negatively towards God, to wish desire to blame God. Um, but if we uh, we recognize that, um, well, actually, I deserve far worse, and I, I could have worse. Um, then it, it puts everything in perspective for us that this this uh, pain isn't really as bad as what I deserve, so I really shouldn't be complaining about it. And uh, specifically with martyrdom, that's uh, for a Christian, that, that's a, a glorious thing to be counted worthy of that. So even in the pain, um, it's, uh, there's a, the glorious aspect to it, uh, something that um, is good. So even just meditating on that uh, can be helpful. Um, in terms of uh, the positive, because that's, that's thinking about the negative aspect, um, the positive aspect Paul says in Roman 8, 18, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So um, rather than focusing on the negative, which I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that. I think it, it is, is biblical to recognize that uh, even in my worst hour, I deserve far worse than that. Um, Paul focuses on the positive. Whatever I'm going through in this life, that's not that's not at all worthy to be compared with what I will get when I see the Lord. So um, I, I really shouldn't be complaining about it from that perspective. So regardless of which, uh, which um, angle you take on it, the point being is we should have a grounded view of when we're suffering um, and not lose heart, not despair, but have a grounded view of what we're going through, why it is we're going through it. Uh, it's for, it's ultimately for our good and God's glory. Um, and that um, we should uh, we should not complain. We should not um, disparage the character of God because of it. Yeah, you see kind of that principle in James chapter one. You know, we're to count it all joy when trials come our way. Doesn't mean that we welcome suffering or that we're you know on a on a mission to try to suffer. But with, there is a sense where there is joy in suffering and pain because it's making us more like God. Amen. And it's a form of discipline too. Hebrews chapter 12 is very clear about that. So that means that God is growing us and molding us to be more like himself. So it's like Edwards is saying here that um, relatively speaking, this really isn't as bad as I deserve, but um, you know, it, it's still something that he can bear up under. Mm-hmm. Um, next one is uh, 14, which is resolved never to do anything out of revenge. And I just did a quick Google search for the definition of a revenge, which is the action of inflicting hurt or harm on someone for an injury or wrong suffered at their hands. Um, and obviously, this is the natural inclination of uh, of fallen man. Um, and in some regards, uh, there's at least a, a part of it that's a good um, a good aspect. Um, we created in the image of God, have a sense of justice and we want justice to be done. Um, the only issue is that justice isn't necessarily going to be done in this life. And we need to be okay with that. Um, for example, the scripture says, um, and this is Romans twelve nineteen. uh, dearly beloved avenge, not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Um, so in this life, we need to be okay with not taking justice into our own hands if it's inappropriate to do so. Um, and instead, letting the Lord um, mete out the punishment that's due um, at the final day. So um, we don't need to take revenge. Obviously, revenge is not also justice. It has a little bit of a, a maliciousness to it. We're not to act uh, maliciously. Um, so in that regards, we would throw out uh, revenge. But um, in terms of uh, just how we're to live our lives, we're not to we're not to maliciously um, try to to seek to um, balance justice in our favor. And ultimately, if we go too far to that, say we do, we go too far with that, we're actually um, we're removing a little bit of the judgment that that person would have, assuming that, that they're not, uh, if they're not ultimately converted and saved, or if it's a brother that um, uh, they would, uh, there would no be no uh, retribution against them. But um, 
Oh, I just lost my train of thought. Where was it going with that? Um, oh, shoot. Where was I going with that? You were talking about um, taking away the judgment of the person. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, if we overcompensate for uh, justice and we do more than the person, uh, more than was due the person um, in terms of the uh, how the law of God would view it, um, we're... we're taking away in some sense from the justice that God will do at the end of the age. Uh, not that God's, God's justice will be infinite. So I'm not saying, I'm not trying to say that it'll be lessened in that regard, but um, if they got in a sense, what they deserved in this life, they're not going to need a, a stricter judgment in the, uh, in the life to come. So uh, we should leave it in the hands of the Lord who will judge everything exactly as it should be judged it's like it you know if you take matters into your own hands you're you're putting yourself in the role of god which is blasphemy yeah. in and of itself and you're you know conflating you're conflating those roles like if that god has instituted the state as the means of justice um in terms of regulating how humans are to act and enacting certain laws and punishments you know the the person who does bad deserves the sword that's what romans 13 teaches and those who do good are to receive blessing from the state and that's really god's at least his primary form of judgment on this earth for human beings for wrongdoing and so you know we're not to be vigilantes and running around taking people out we don't like or getting back at people in ways that um, wrong. And it really shows, you know, a form of hatred towards your neighbor when you do that. You're not doing it properly. Mm -hmm. You can have a sense of justice, but we should not do so at the expense of just bitterness and hate towards our neighbor. Mm -hmm. And as Christians, we we want justice, but we also desperately want mercy because we know what pure justice would be against us. And we have no right to withhold it to um, from our neighbor, right? Like, oh, God, I want you to be just to, towards me, but not towards my neighbor. Oh, no. Um, as if I were somehow better in the grand scheme of things than my neighbor. So to take revenge um, is is an overthrow of that that principle. Right. Um, it's it's say, it is saying, oh, no, um, I don't want mercy for my neighbor, even though I would certainly want mercy for me. So, yeah, it's it's wrong on a couple levels. All right. Um, moving on to resolution um, 24. Resolved, whenever I do conspicuously evil action, to trace it back till I come to the original cause, and then both carefully endeavor to do it so no more, and to fight and pray with all my might against the original of it. So, uh, this is a this is a um, this is a good way to think about it. Um, often we do things. And at least I'll, I'll speak for myself here. I've done things and then later look back and like, why, why did I even do that? Like I did something malicious or I, I yelled at someone. It's like, what was that even really worth getting angry over? What was, what was the issue that caused me to do that? Um, so it is, it is good to trace it back. If we don't immediately understand why we would have done something to trace it back and make sure that there's not a more serious underlying issue that, um, that uh we need to address um and i will say that this shouldn't be done without prayer um self-examination should never be done without prayer but uh specifically in the psalm it's, it says uh, and this is psalm 1912 who can understand his error just cleanse me or cleanse thou me from my secret faults so here the psalmist is praying and asking for cleansing um from from secret faults from things that are hidden to him so um, we don't have a full view of ourselves as we ought to, right? Or at the very least, we're, we don't have a, few, uh, a full view of ourselves. We don't, we don't know exactly all our, our motivations and such. And we need the help of the Lord to identify those and to make sure that those motivations are in step with what he would want us to do. Um, so I do think that there can be a healthy self-examination there. Um, to fight and pray with all my might obviously there's a um a relative sense in which that's true um because uh we, we as christians do fail constantly to do things with all our might that we should 
we're supposed to love the Lord our God with all our might. And um, I, I, the sheer fact that I don't love him as I ought proves that that doesn't, um, that doesn't uh, always happen. Um, but uh, so I would take this um, hopefully in a, a not strict legalistic sense. Um, not that I'm saying that you have to follow Edward's resolutions anyway, but if I were to apply this to myself, I wouldn't want to take this in a strict legalistic sense and like, oh, well, I failed, I failed to fight this with all my might. Therefore, I've broken the resolution. Um, we recognize we're sinners in need of grace and that um, we will fail uh, to, to do these things. Yeah, these are really just goals to ask her, you know, goals to attain in mm -hmm. terms of how God's law has laid out what we're supposed to do. We can never love God with all of our might in this life, but that's the holy standard. And that's why we have to have someone who's done that perfectly for us, mm -hmm. right? Only Christ loved the Lord his God with all his might, soul, and strength in his mind. So with all of his being, essentially, that's what that means. It's it's really trying to encompass all of our nature, all of our essence. We are to love God with everything that we are. And we, we haven't done that. But Edwards was clearly wanting and desiring that and that was his goal he was a resolve to do that as best as he could um, and that should be our resolve as christians to love our god with all of our might and to be disciplined like paul said he disciplines himself right he puts his body under control so that he can do what uh, is according to the lord so yeah we we should have this resolve as christians this should be our, our daily resolve not just an annual resolve but something that we do all the time that we're seeking to love our God as best we can. All right. And then on to my last uh, resolution. And this was number 28 resolved to study the script, study the scripture so steadily, constantly, and frequently as that I may find and plainly perceive myself to grow in the knowledge of the same. So um, the, the means by which we come to know God is the scriptures right what he has spoken um so this is always a, a good resolution to study the scriptures more to know um to know what his revealed will is um so uh we we should definitely do that um and the steadily constantly and frequently um this is a again can't take this legalistically where like if i'm spending a single second not studying the the word of the lord i'm i'm in sin right but this is a a theme that you see um, in the Bible, right? Um, Psalm 119, 97. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. So we're to be constantly in as much as, as uh, possible or as reasonable to be thinking about the scriptures, meditating on them, uh, applying them to our lives, thinking about the implications of scriptures, comparing scripture with scripture. We're to be doing all these things. And, um, I know that Edward says that uh, that he might plainly perceive himself to grow in the knowledge of the same. Uh, sometimes I don't feel like I'm growing in knowledge of the scriptures, um, only to much, much later realize that, oh, oh, wow, I guess subconsciously I, I put those things together and then I, I came out with something. Um, so even if it doesn't feel like you are necessarily growing, um, the word is the means by which we, we come to be saved. It's the means by which we come to be sanctified. We should be uh, immersed in it. And even if we feel or don't feel anything, um, well, um, that's not to say that nothing is happening. Um, and uh, I don't necessarily need to consciously perceive myself growing um, in order to know that I am truly growing by reading God's word. Yep. Uh and I think a lot of the times it's going to be in baby steps. It's not going to be, there might be times where you have these drastic growths and you're like, wow, okay, I got, got that really fast. But I think most of the time it's going to be gradual and it comes just from constant study. You're not going to grow if you're not in the word, right? Or if you neglect the means of grace uh, on the Lord's day too, you're definitely going to be hindered in your growth. If you're not partaking of the table on a regular basis, um, or hearing the word of God preached every Sunday, it, it's just not going to happen because those are the means that God has used mm -hmm. to bring us more in conformity to himself. So the word, the sacrament, um, the Lord's day, all of those things come together to help us to grow. Yeah. 
I think I said the means, and really, I should have said the primary means. That would be a little bit more more accurate. <laughs> but yeah, no, no, I, I get what you're saying. Um, yeah, because I mean, and even all of those things, even the the preaching and and the sacrament, all come from the Word. You know, in terms of how mm-hmm. they're to be done. Mm-hmm. So there is, you know, they're all under that uh, umbrella of the Word of God, anyways. Um, that helps us to grow in our knowledge of Him. But if we neglect those things, you know, if we're neglecting the word of god and we're not studying it we're not going to grow because that's where our knowledge of god is prime uh, at least primarily we have natural revelation and natural theology but those special things about god we have in his word and as christians that's where our primary um, study is to be because that's where he has revealed christ how he works in the world how um, he works in his people the requirements for how his people are to act if if we're to love God with all of our might, then we're to know his word. We can't know or can't do what he requires without knowing what he has required. So a regular study of the word is absolutely important. It's very easy to neglect. We, you know, like to fill our, um, you know, our time uh, in place of other things where we should be uh, studying the word. And we have to be very careful about that. Again, that's not to, we're not setting some list of, you know, we got to read the Bible an hour a day or or you're in sin or something like that. But um, I think we can know where that that line is drawn and it might look different for different people. But we're studying the word, we're reading the word, we're meditating on the word, we're praying over the word and we're using the Lord's Day means to help supplement that. Um, then we will grow as Christians. It, that's just how the scriptures reveal how we're going to grow. All right, so I'm actually going to jump back all the way to the beginning of the resolutions. I'm going to start at resolution one um, and pick a few out here. Um, So resolution one says, Resolve that I will do whatsoever I think to be most to God's glory and my own good, profit, and pleasure in the whole of my duration without any consideration of the time, whether now or never, so many myriads of ages hence. Resolved to do whatever I think to be my duty, and most for the good and advantage of mankind in general, resolve to do this, whatever difficulties I meet with, how many and how great soever. So this is a fundamental principle behind any kind of obedience to God. It's really uh, God's glory. Now, are we, um, you know, are we obeying God for the glory of God? That's First Corinthians. Um, I believe I wrote that down here. But it's from First Corinthians. That we're to do all for the oh, First Corinthians ten thirty one. That we're to do all for the glory of God, and so everything is flowing from that. So Edwards is really getting his priorities straight. He's setting that foundation of where this holiness, this pattern of holiness, is going to come from. It's going to come from doing whatever he does to God's glory, and then not letting anything hinder him from doing that. So he's saying the consideration of the time. Um, and anything that might hinder him, he's going to avoid from doing that. He's not going to let circumstances dictate how he glorifies God. He's just going to do it regardless. He's going to obey God. He's going to glorify God. Um, and you can kind of see this this two-tiered structure is found in the law of God. We love God first, right, for his glory, and we worship him. And then you love your neighbor. So it seems that Edwards had a proper view of the law of God, this twofold aspect of the law we love god and then this last part of it the last six commandments are for loving your neighbor so he sees that kind of as the holistic life of holiness um so as we know that the law of god it's so relevant today romans 320 and we have to obey these things um so you know as we're going into this new year that really should be the guiding principle are we doing whatever we're doing to the glory of god and if we find something that you know is is coming up maybe an ethical issue or we're placed in a in a spot that we have to make a moral decision we should always ask ourselves is is this going to glorify god if i do this or if i don't and then that will guide us um as we're making these moral decisions and then we go back to the word you know going back to sean's point before of being constantly in the word to see is this in scripture and if it is then we do it we know we're doing it to the glory of god and we know we're this what we do will glorify god and um that will help us to live in a 
life that's holy without making up our own rules to, you know, somehow be legalistic or holy in God's sight. That's the standard scripture. We do what is glorifying to God as found in scripture. Then we will truly be living in a way that is uh, pleasing to God. And I want to point out that, um, well, it is perfectly appropriate to um, treat the love of God and love of neighbor or love of um, self uh, as as separate uh, things because they are, in some <laughs> regards, for the Christian um, love love of God or to glorify God is for your. Uh, I don't want to say for your own sake because it is for His sake, but it is to your own uh, to your own good. Because if you yep. love God, you want the best, the best, uh, if you want to glorify him, um, then when he is glorified, you will be satisfied in that. So um, they're not. Yeah. And that's perfectly separate. fine. Like you can, yeah. we get joy. Like David talks about this too. You know, I, I love your law, right? I, there is a, a righteous selfishness. I think that you can have in obeying God's law that you can enjoy it, you know, mm -hmm. um, I think, but I think it's because you see it as righteous and good and it's mm -hmm. honoring to God that it's a joy to do. Yeah. Um, we not, don't. It's not just like, oh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go help the kids in Africa because I want to look good and I want to feel good about myself as compared mm -hmm. to somebody else or, you know, well that, you know, that's going to boost my numbers or whatever. If I just go over here and do, uh, you know, this really good thing for these people, um, we have to be careful that we, our motives are not uh, wrong. And our confession talks about that too. Why is something sinful? Even the good things that are externally good, that might externally conform to the law of God, why are they sinful for the unbeliever? Because their heart attitudes are not for the glory of God. Mm -hmm. They're not doing it in, in faith, not doing it um, with the right motives. Their hearts are in the wrong place. So they, they miss that mark. They're constantly falling yeah. short of the glory of God. Yeah, we're we're not an ends into ourselves, right? We're, we're not trying to turn this on its head. Well, if I get uh, pleasure from glorifying God, therefore pleasure is the good thing that I'm after and not the, the glory of God. No, glory of God comes first. Yes. Derivatively from that, uh, we might uh, we might rest, we might enjoy that. But um, that's not the end in of itself. And it's very important to make that clear. Yeah. And it seems Edwards had that priority, too. It, what's I think to be most to God's glory and my own good profit and pleasure. Mm -hmm. So those things come after God's glory. They seem mm -hmm. to flow from that for him, mm -hmm. but he still sees that, you know, there is a something pleasurable and good and righteous about enjoying what is good and righteous in God's sight. There's, it's kind of, it's a fine line to walk, I guess, because it's pagan yeah. does it very differently than the Christian would. Yeah. All right. Resolution number three, resolved, if I, if ever I shall fall and grow dull so as to neglect to keep any part of these resolutions to repent of all I can remember, then come to myself again. Um, now, you know, Edwards is, is applying this specifically to the resolutions, and we're not going to say, you know, okay, repent if you don't follow these resolutions to the letter necessarily. Um, but I think the principle here is repentance, right? not to be letting our consciences grow dull to, uh, in terms of sin um, and to make sure that we're repenting of sin. As we do grow dull, if we don't repent of our sins, if we let sin in and let sin sit in our hearts without being checked, then we will start to grow dull because we get used to it, right? Our consciences um, start not telling us what uh, we're supposed to be doing. It just kind of, we grow dull, we grow callous or as paul would say i think in the most extreme example you have a seared conscience right the false teachers had seared consciences because of their wickedness they had just been so given over that there was no sense of right and wrong per se in that they were feeling uh, because they just ignored their consciences i think so edwards is trying to keep himself from growing dull as it relates to sin not to grow dull and we have to be very very careful about that um, in Romans 6, 1 through 3, very clear, very well-known passage. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order 
that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So we're to put off the old man and walk according to the Spirit. And we can't do that if we're dull, if we're holding on to sin in our lives. We have to put aside that old man. Um, and we're to walk with a clear conscience. First uh, Timothy 3 9, um, which is referring to um, officers, you know, that hold the truth with a clear conscience. Um, but there are things even that apply to officers in the church in terms of qualifications that are character traits that I think that all Christians should aspire towards. It's not just the elders and the deacons that are to kind of be these quote super Christians up here who have really good characters and then everyone else is just down here, you know, squabbling around. We don't, I don't think that's uh, Paul's intention. These are all good things to aspire towards. Um, so we're to walk, hold the, the faith, the gospel, uh, the core aspects of the faith with a pure conscience. We're to walk uh, pure before our Lord and we're to hold these things clearly in our hearts and we're to walk with a conscience that isn't dull. Uh, so I think that's pretty clear from the scriptures. This is also interesting because it does give a little bit of insight into his mindset that he's not holding these as some legalistic standard by which to keep because he said he's uh, leaving room for himself to have failed to have kept the resolutions and like, okay, well, what if I, what, what if I do fail to keep the resolutions? Okay. I need to, I need to um, repent here. And uh, it's not, it's hopefully not repentance for the sake of keeping the resolutions, but repentance for the sake of like, well, in these resolutions, I've broken the law of God. I need to repent of that. Yeah. Yeah. That would definitely be the hope. Yeah. Cause it could easily be misconstrued. Yeah. That, oh, you know, I'm keeping this list. And if I don't, you know, I'm, I'm way off over here. Yeah. yeah. I don't think that's Edward's desire. I don't I think, think so. he was, yeah. he was very much concerned with a, a right obedience with God. These were just, I think, yeah. helps him. Yeah. It's a simplified list of, Yep. Uh, what? How should I govern my life? Obviously, you could just plop the Bible down in front of you and say, "This is how I should live my life," and that's true. I'm not. I'm not uh, disregarding that. But in terms of like a simplified guide of how I should live my life, I think that's probably more of what was. Yeah. What he was going. Yeah, for. I think so. All right, number four: resolve never to do any manner of thing, whether in soul or body, less or more, but what tends to the glory of God nor be, nor suffer it if I can avoid it. And this is closely tied to resolution one, that we're to glorify God in all that we do. Um, but Edwards even adds here that not only would he do what glorifies God, but avoid uh, doing what takes away from God's glory and, and do that thing, even if it would cause him to suffer. So the circumstances are not uh, a problem for him here. He wants to glorify God in the face of opposition. Um, and that's something I think that we have to kind of work out in our own minds because it's easy to say, well, I'm going to glorify God. I'm going to stand up in this particular situation. Um, but will we, you know, if we're really put under the gun, are we going to stand on our own? No, no, we need, it will be the glory of, you know, the grace of God that's going to help us to stand. I mean, when Jesus gave instructions to his disciples, you know, they on what to say when they're dragged before the leaders of, you know, the who were persecuting them. He said that the spirit would tell them the things that they were to say. He would sustain them. He wouldn't let them fall away or crumble, even though, you know, we see Peter falling into denial of Christ and crumbling under certain pressure. Um, we have to be careful that we are not going to think we're above that somehow, you know, because we're we're men. We're. We're mere humans. We're going to fail on our own. So we have to humbly rest in God that he is going to help us glorify him um, and prayerfully consider that and take a sober mind when uh, we're coming to these difficulties that come up um, in our lives. We should be willing to suffer for Christ in terms of glorifying him, whatever that situation is, um, but we shouldn't be overconfident that we're somehow going to just stand and and stand against any opposition that's going to come our way we might not we might flounder because we're we're weak and we we need our lord's uh sustaining hand to help us to push through um in glorifying him in all situations well, all right was, that was yeah good. go ahead Sean. no no i was just gonna say that was that was good um i don't even know that i have any uh, <laughs> <no> comments <laughs> 
All right, number 19, and this, um, we have one more after this, but number 19, resolve never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if I expected it would not be above an hour before I should hear the last trump. So this is tied to what Sean had said before, and it seems, as we saw with the very last one we just did, Edwards repeats himself, um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it seems that these important themes that he wants to particularly emphasize and follow and have characterized in his life or emphasize. So one of them is glorifying God. And number two is how do I live knowing it's the last, you know, the last day. And this theme of, you know, living how you would live. It's your last day. That's actually pretty common in the pagan world. You know, you see um, there's a, there's a famous Nickelback song today. If today was your last day, that kind of deals with this issue. You know, they're, they're a secular rock band. They don't love the Lord, but they, they recognize this. There's some meaning to life as it relates to how you live, right? That you're going to leave a legacy. There's something transcendent that's going to um, take place depending on how you live. So there is kind of this principle out in the pagan world, but for Christians, we're living in light of eternity we're living in light of the Lord coming again. And so there should be an even greater desire and an even greater push to live in a way that is pleasing to him as if it is the last day, as if Christ is coming back. Um, and we see this principle in different places in, in the New Testament. First Thessalonians 5.2, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Uh, Revelation 16.15, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And 2 Peter 3.10, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So the common theme here is that Jesus is going to come. Excuse me. He's going to come when we least expect it. He's not going to come... Um, at a time that we are going to be aware of. We don't know when he's coming back. Um, he's going to come just like a thief. A thief doesn't come when people expect it. People don't see thieves coming down the road and they're like, okay, let's get ready. I see him coming. He's, he's coming to the door. No, they, they come in the night. Typically they break into your house when you're sleeping, when you're uh, most vulnerable. Right? So there is this sense where Christ is going to come when people are caught off guard. And so the people of God should not be caught off guard. They should be ready. They should be living as if he's coming back because he could come at any moment. Um, and we have to be careful about that because um, I think there there clearly was a tendency in the Thessalonian church to be lazy. You know, they, well, the Lord's coming back. I guess I don't need to work anymore. You know, and, and Paul was saying, no, 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 work, work with your hands, work uh, out of idleness. Don't be idle. Um, so we're to live kind of these basic, quote, ordinary lives. Um, we're not to we're not to go live in a monastery somewhere waiting for the Lord to return as if we're, you know, somehow super holy. You know, that this goes back to what does it mean to glorify God? Are we doing what the scriptures say on a practical level? If we are, then that's how we're to live when Christ uh, comes back. I want to read just a quick section. This is uh, Ordinary by Michael Horton. Um, published by Zondervan, he kind of talks about these principles um, as laid out uh, in the scriptures that were to just live as the scriptures teach. We're not to do anything radically special necessarily. Um, but I want to read a short section here. He says, what if you knew that Jesus would return tomorrow morning? That question was asked often in church as I was growing up. In case we didn't have a ready answer, we were usually told that we should be what we should be found doing. The question was meant to light the fire underneath us for extraordinary undertakings. Who would want to be found grocery shopping or driving home from work? However, wiser Christians remind us that being found at our daily callings, glorifying and enjoying God in ordinary ways is a better answer. Taking in the April scent and clucking chickens from his window, Luther is reported to have said, even if I knew the world was going to end tomorrow, I would still plant an apple tree today. So the, the point is that as we're living in light of scripture in our ordinary lives, we're taking care of our families, we're working in our jobs. That's how we're to live as if the last Trump is coming in as much as it comports with what the scriptures say. You know, it seems that 
when the world uh, says that we're to live like it's our last day, you know, we're going to, oh, I'm going to give all my money away or, oh, I'm just going to quit my job and go, you know, go skydiving or something. It, it's uh, there's that Tim McGraw song that's kind of like that, too. I, I went skydiving. I went mountain uh, mountain hiking, you know, when I, I knew I was going to die. Uh, that's not the attitude Christians are to have as it relates to the coming of Christ. We're just to live our lives as we have been, and as much as it's consistent with Scripture, and that's uh, how we want to be found when Christ comes again, because that's what's glorifying to him. That's what's obedient to him. There's nothing special we have to do. We just need to live out the Scriptures, and if we're doing that now, then that's how we want to be found with the last trump. So it's a good reminder to us. The world, the world always goes in one extreme or the other. There's really no balance in the world. Um, but the scriptures keep us grounded and they help us to live in a way that is pleasing to God. Very, and you know, Paul talking about quiet lives, right? We're not to be wild people doing, you know, strange things. We're to live peaceful and quiet lives in accordance with the word of God. And that's how I want my Lord to find me when he comes again, as we're living according to his word. Um, so I think that's uh, the principle that we find here. Yeah. How do we live? Should, um, should we hear the last trump? How would Christ want us uh, to be found? The the funny thing is, um, the radical thing is to actually do the ordinary thing because the right. world does. It's so ironic, seek, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> does seek after the radical thing, and this is to demonstrate the glory of God, right? That yeah, um, God is so worthy that uh, we would do the ordinary thing, the one that's not as flashy, you know, the one that's not as and he intense. picks the the weak ones, right? <laughs> yep, the people yep. who are not powerful, yep. the people who are generally speaking, picking the people who are kind of the scum of the earth to do his greatest work. Mm -hmm. You know, fishermen who were kind of the dirty, stinky guys who were always in the in the dead fish, always smelled like sea. Um, you know, it, they were the guys who established the church. Mm -hmm. So, it, so yeah, it's it's kind of this um, cosmic irony, um, almost like it kind of a um, an in-your-face move to the world. Like you know, you guys think you're so good, but look what I can do with just a fisherman. Mm -hmm. you know it, it's it, it is pretty amazing and what what's what's greater love towards god right the the thing that's flashy and cool that everybody likes to look at like i'm gonna do that and that'll and i'm uh, sometimes sometimes the thing that's uh over or whatever is the thing that you need to do right right um, sometimes yep. you do need to be the the guy out in the open but yep. uh, uh what's what's there's a sense in which um uh, doing the ordinary thing is is more demonstrating of a love to God because you're not getting the the uh, the praise of men, not getting the um, all the eyes upon you. Um, you're doing it just for for God's sake. And what did know? Jesus say? Or you you know, when you when you pray, yep. pray in your closet, right? Yeah. Yep. When you give alms, do it quietly. Don't yep. go out in the open. Oh, look at what I did. You know that that's it's peaceful and quiet lives. That's the the normal um, life of a Christian. We're not to yeah. be troublemakers. We're not to be people who are always doing the, the next big thing um, in terms of, uh, you know, in an unordinary way, in a worldly sense. Mm -hmm. We're to just live our lives as the scriptures have said, and, and all of those things will fall together. We just, we have this worldly mindset. We have a corporate mindset in the church. You know, we got to, we got to release this big thing. We got to, you know, boost the numbers way over here. We got to do all this. And it's that's just not what the scriptures have us to do. So we just got to slow down, you know, live a life that is pleasing to God quietly. And that is um, the extraordinary thing in God's eyes. All right. Finally, um, resolution 56 resolve never to give over, nor in the least to slacken my fight with my corruptions however unsuccessful i may be um so this is a determination that edwards has to fight sin and to continuously do it and it's interesting that he adds however unsuccessful i may be um so he's assuming that there might be times where he's going to feel like he's on a treadmill he's not getting anywhere with his fight against sin but the point is to not give up because we know what's going to happen at the end. We will receive deliverance. We will grow in holiness. Scriptures are very clear about that. In one way or another, we're going to grow. 
um, whether in this life or the next is really the different uh, the the differentiation there. But we will grow, so we should persevere in holiness. We should walk according to the word of God, and we shouldn't grow discouraged. Right? It's easy to grow discouraged. You know, we're seeing. You look at Romans seven, with Paul's struggle with sin and his discouragement that was there. Um, but he kept looking to the gospel, right? Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? It's it's Christ. That's who's going to deliver you. So we remind ourselves of the gospel. Um, we confess our sins, and we uh, gain a new, free, you know, a, a cleansed conscience, and we walk in a way that is pleasing uh, to God from that. Even though at times it may seem like we're not getting very far, we don't just give up because it. Oh, you know, I. I messed up 12 times this week. I guess it's not worth it. Um, no, that's not the attitude we're to have. We're to keep pressing on. And that is one of the greatest evidences that you are a Christian is that you're doing that. If you're not, then uh, there is great concern that should be had over the state of your soul. Anything to add, Sean? Um, I guess just once again, this is sort of, indicating that he wasn't thinking about these legalistically saying, Oh, no matter how unsuccessful I might be in keeping them. Um, and that's just, uh, it's important to, to remember that in the Christian life, right? Uh, we are called to an absolute standard, but we're not gonna, we're not gonna live up to it. Um, so as, as you said, we need Christ, we need, um, we need him. And if we are, uh, if we are Christians, we have the righteousness of Christ, before which we are able to come to the Father and not be um, not be underneath His wrath. Um, so, yeah, it's an important thing to remember. Yep, the gospel is what's going to guide us. So, as we go into this new year, um, let the gospel guide you as a believer. You know, let that be your guiding light as in terms of how you live your holy life in repentance of sin. Um, let the gospel rule your life. Um, as and in the scriptures and those principles found in scripture, and we will all those things will fall in place. We don't have to create legalistic rules if we're living according to scripture. All of the the holiness that God requires for us will all fall in place if we just honor what the scriptures say and we don't extraneously add to our holiness, uh, which unfortunately we tend to do because it's easier to do that than to keep what the scriptures say. Um, but we have to have our mindset uh, in the scripture. So hopefully this discussion was helpful and uh, can kind of help your mind to focus on biblical things as we go into the new year. Um, but thank you for joining us today. Um, and Lord willing, we will uh, be back. We won't have a live episode next week. Um, Sean will be at CBTS at a class. So we'll, uh, we'll release a pre-recorded um, episode. Um, but Hopefully we'll be back live the week after that and we'll continue um, on whatever study we have. But thank you for joining us today. Have a great uh, New Year's Eve and uh, New Year's tomorrow and Lord's Day. And we'll talk to you soon.